seven. I hope you're all having, wherever you are, a good start to the weekend, good end to the weekend. For me, it's Sunday, so back to work tomorrow. Today, I am joined by someone I've really enjoyed talking to. We just had a nice chat um, for about an hour, just getting to know each other <laughs> and uh, talking about all things education, non-education. But um, I really wanted to get her on for a long time because I do like her views. And what I really like is that her her views have personality, they have humor, but you can really tell she's being genuine. So Erica Garcia, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Thanks. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm really pumped. And I'd actually like to, well, there's something we talked about that I want to talk about. But first, why don't you give the listeners a little background about your career and kind of what you've been through, and then we can go from there. I like it. what I've been through, <laughs> like the trenches. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have been in education, public education in the state of Missouri for 22 years. I started out in elementary school and then um, after a uh, eight year stint in elementary school, I decided that I wanted to figure out what it was that we were preparing our students for. So I moved to middle school where I spent a, a lengthy part of my career. Um, I became a literacy coach there and that was my first, uh, my first go outside of the classroom. And I realized that working side by side with teachers was something that was a pretty cool experience because it gave me the opportunity to meet the needs of a lot of students. So that was really cool. And then um, I was always in the literacy world. Um, so when a position in the math, um, the math world opened up at the elementary school and my um, superintendent asked me if I would consider applying, I kind of laughed a little bit because, and like I could actually feel my high school math teacher laughing as well. Um, so I did move and to be a math specialist. And what I realized about um, my career in math is that I was really good at it because I knew all the ways you could mess math up. So um, then, yeah, so I spent some time there and then I moved into where I am now, um, where I've been for the last three years, which is an instructional coordinator. Um, so my position is very similar to what I would say as an assistant principal role. So I have a lot of um, responsibility that is working side by side with the amazing staff um, that I have the pleasure of working with, but also I do evaluation. I help out with our discipline. I help out with our testing. So it's a multifaceted job that allows me still to work really closely with kids. So that's super cool. Awesome. And you're you're getting you're working on your doctorate, correct? Yes, that is correct. So yes, I'm getting my doctorate. So I have just actually kind of pitched my dissertation idea, which is about um the role of empathy in phronesis. And so phronesis I know that's probably not a real common word, but it's um the it's air it's an aristocrat. Dottle, um concept, which is based on practical wisdom. So the idea that we do the right thing at the right time for the right people. So I'm trying to figure out like what the role of knowing your people has in making practically wise decisions in the field of education as a leader. I really like that. Um, the 
what you're studying for your district well what you did for your dissertation <laughs> well i'm not i didn't do it yet okay, like i like i literally all i did was pitch the idea so far like Amen. and people said it sounds okay like it wouldn't yeah so i i think i have like maybe like an indented paragraph with three words so far of my dissertation. So I'm doing really well, but um, yeah, no, I'm super excited about the topic though. Hey man, sometimes that's half the battle. Like <laughs> I'm only in grad school right now. And once I write like the first, I don't know, few sentences, I feel like it, <laughs> yeah, I like, I know where the paper's going. Like I'm either flowing or I'm right. like, crap, this is going to suck. Well, the other day, um, actually, when I was in my uh, in one of my classes, the professor was like, so finding models is really important. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God she said that. Because, like, all these years, I've actually, like, looked for somebody that actually said something that I liked and then, you know, emulated that in my own words. So the fact that I had permission to to do that felt really good, um, you know, because I not not that you're going to like take their words, but just the idea that there's like, hey, here's what this should look like. And if you can actually make your words somewhat resemble these, you'll be all right. You know, so I was glad to have that advice. But I'm a writer like I love to write. So that that part of it is not going to be the the hard part for me. It is probably more the like scholarly type of things because right. things that tend to be scholarly have all of these like citations and you know they're talking about everybody else's work and I'm like one of those people that I'm like but here's what I have to say. <laughs> so <laughs> totally and, and I really appreciate that um just kind of the where you're coming from, not a lot of people know about this about me, and I'm not saying like PE teachers are generalized, but before I became a PE teacher, my mother teaches, they still call it English, where she is, um, and my dad teaches social studies, and growing up, like, I love to write, like, I, I, if I, like, I wouldn't say, like, with sports and everything, I loved a lot of classes, but I love going to English. Like, I like the short stories. I even like Shakespeare and stuff like that when we got to the higher levels. Not all of it, but um, <laughs> when, when I went to university, I first wanted to be an English teacher. And then yeah. um, some things just took a different path. So I feel like, like when I get old and my legs don't work anymore and I can't move, Hopefully that never happens. I, right. <laughs> um, but if it does, I think I would go back to school and uh, get that degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, God bless English teachers, because their grading load is so significant. If you're doing it right, the amount of feedback that you need to give in order to grow writers is so significant. So I do have like this special place in my heart for any sort of English teacher, just because of the amount of work it takes to actually grow kids. But I agree. It's actually, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I, I think I, it, I, we talked about this earlier, but um, being an English teacher, a former English teacher myself, one of the things that I always thought about English was this idea that like there's all this creativity because of the fact that the product is creative, but actually the way that you get to that product is not as creative as coming up with a math answer. So like I kind of had my rules flipped in what I thought was going to be really good for me, which um, 
because I, I like that whole like creative problem solving piece of it. Right. And, and if you think about English, there's really like kind of one way to get to your destination. Um, so, but I do, it's, it's a, it's, it's a cool thing. And I like the idea that you said about um, short stories. I think short stories a lot of times are the forgotten fruit of English because um, they're the one thing that we can do that gives a shared like understanding and experience without actually killing kids reading lives. So I love the fact that, that you said that because a lot of people are like, I'm going to read this book or we're going to read this book together. And like books sometimes if a kid's not engaged, like right. I remember when I was teaching middle school, they were still teaching novels, you know, like about dead dogs. And I was like, this is great, but like, there's so much other things out there that are going to get kids to actually like be curious and want to read as opposed to like saying this sucks and I'm never going to read again, you know? So. Totally. And like another thing I think that has helped me when it comes to write, like, I, I don't think anyone would ever call me arrogant or anything like that. Like, I'm pretty, like, everyone is better. Are you saying that because you know somebody... Are you saying that because you know somebody called me arrogant no, on Twitter? No, 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 I'm talking about myself, honestly. Uh, okay. Because of what I'm about to say. <laughs> writing comes really easy to me. Um, so what I'm getting at is, like, in a master's class or whatever, like, I cannot stand tests. Like, just mm -hmm. exams and stuff like that. Because, I, A, I think it's really hard to remember everything. <laughs> uh, B, um, I would rather write, like, a 20-page paper on a, mm -hmm. on a concept. And, like, yeah, you give me the rubric and all of that. Because I feel like what I'm giving you is mine. Right. It's my thoughts. Right. It's my when I'm just answering questions like yes, I'm proving I retain knowledge and stuff like that. But I just I'd prefer again, probably because it's easier for me to write than to take a right. test. But <laughs> I prefer to put my thoughts down and like if it's wrong, I'm wrong. Um right. but you can also be wrong, but see where I was coming from. Where if it's just like an answer to a question, it's like it's yes or no. Um, or multiple well, choice. Right. And, but that's, that's what I think about, like, you know, I was talking about math for just a minute, but that's the thing is like the idea of showing your work. Um, you know, you look at somebody's work and you kind of get behind their thinking a little bit. And I think that that's why with writing, as opposed to a multiple choice test is that idea of like showing your work, you have to show it. And so there's always something that you can glean from showing your work. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting that you said this about writing. So, um, if people who are really good at writing don't like, you know, we think that we're going to be really good at teaching it, but because it comes so naturally to us, it's like not necessarily right. our strongest subject to teach. So like I, I even having my own children who are like, you know, they, they are not writers necessarily. I mean, you know, they're kind of like struggling with it a little bit and I'm like well you you just what do you mean you just do it like what, what is wrong with you but um it's because it's it is when it's your passion and when you're good at it like you don't understand when somebody can't do it which is what makes me think in a lot of ways when we're really um as educators when something is a little bit more of a challenge sometimes we're better at teaching it than we are our stronger subjects because we don't understand how other people 
don't just automatically get it. So. Yeah. And I, I think like the thing is like with writing, I completely agree. I don't think I could teach a single thing about it. I could. Because you can just do it. Right. And uh, like, I don't know how it came up. Like my mom was, she'd always, which sometimes I usually hated it, but she would make me check her check my paper before I turned it into another teacher. And I'm like, <laughs> so at a young age, I was like, I can totally, sorry, everyone, bullshit this paper, like, in middle school and get a right. solid grade. Mm-hmm. But, so, like, I would try to hide the fact that I had to write a paper for my mom. I'd be like, ah, oh, it's just a take-home <laughs> test. And then she's like, well, let me see your backpack. And back then, like, it wasn't on the internet. Like, it was the 90s. and like, Right. You could almost get away with it um right but then like every time i did that i swear she would bump into my teacher because she was a teacher at the same school and say oh "Oh, uh, Mm -hmm. patrick uh how do you do on that take-home test and he'd be like you mean the paper and i'm like (laughs) and then so (laughs) so i think uh, but the long story short is i think i got good at writing because my mom forced me to give her my drafts and she taught me Obviously, credit goes to my English teachers as well, but my mom was really on my ass about writing good work. It's almost as if moms know, you know, like (laughs) if they actually like do know what's right for their kids. I don't know. Like I might have my kids listen to this podcast now. So (laughs) just so they can hear how great moms are. Um, Well, so here's something that I I feel like I don't talk about on Twitter. (laughs) Because, you know, like, I'm professional Eric on Twitter, but, um, so I have spent a large part of my life writing greeting cards. So I'm a greeting card writer. I write for a bunch of different companies. I'm a freelance writer and I, I use a pen name because obviously I'm professional Erica. And honestly, there's nothing more fun than writing greeting cards. Like most of my greeting cards would actually be bought in like a store where you would also like buy adult products. (laughs) So it is literally the most fun thing that I can, that I do. Like, it's like my outlet, you know, like I love to write and like, here's these, this like opportunity to like step outside of your comfort zone and write these little pithy, like three and four word, like post-it notes and, and (laughs) um, greeting cards and not have anybody know that they're like attached to you. It's, it's, it's pretty freeing. I have to say that. So it's something that not a lot of people know that I'm now sharing with you that like, if you walked into like a five and dime store, like a Spencer's or something like that, I don't know, that's probably not regional, but like somewhere where you would like, you know, walk in and be able to buy like a, a fake nose piercing, you would probably see my grading cards. So do you have any? Um, I, I do. I, want I one. do. Well, I do. I actually, so, um, one of the companies that I write for, actually, I do a lot of like teacher post-it notepads. So like, you know, things like that, you know, the, one of my like top sellers was just this really silly notepad that just said got recess or, you know, like I teach because Hollywood hasn't called yet. Like just stuff like that, where it's like so silly and stupid, but the, the best sellers that I have of cards are things that like put their toe into like the um probably inappropriate <laughs> side of the world so 
Um, but it is, it is honestly a really cool outlet. Um, greeting cards obviously are not something in which are like a hot commodity. So when I started (laughs) years and years ago, um, it was probably one of the most like, you know, like fun things I've ever done, but as well as like freeing, you know, because they're not tied to you. Once a company decides that they're going to buy them. And I mean, when I started this, it was literally, you wrote for writer's guidelines, like pen and paper, Mm -hmm. and you sent this off. And then um, like 300 years later, you would get the writer's guidelines and then you would have to submit in paper, whatever your ideas were. And then the company would decide what they wanted to buy. And then once they bought it, they bought the copyright. So you couldn't send out like various things, like the only one company at a time could look at your ideas and either reject them or accept them. So it's obviously changed a lot because now we've got the power of email and everything's pretty quick, but, um, it was really, it was, it, it has been a really just kind of fun, fun, fun thing to do. And the fact that they buy the copyright actually is really good because it's never tied to you, but you do get to go and then see your work published. So it's cool. That's really cool. And I definitely learned something new. Coach Pat chat. You'll always learn something new. (laughs) I now I know about copywriting greeting cards. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, so like you would be good at this. You would be, I feel like you could do this. You could come up with some very pithy. The problem is I like, I suck at stopping. So like I get on a flow (laughs) and like, like conclusions are my nightmare. You know what I mean? My God. Yeah. I mean, yes, but like, yes. Um, yes, totally. I do. I get it. Yes. That's how I feel about talking. Like for me, like, um, like I've had a bunch of really amazing people who've, who've been, you know, nice enough to reach out to me and say like, do you want a mock interview? Cause I'm, you know, I'm an aspiring principal. So I'm one of these people who's looking for positions and they're like, Hey, do you want a mock interview? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, every single time I'm like, give me real feedback. Give me honest feedback. Right. They're like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it that like my talking is your conclusion. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like and a lot of times like it turns out okay, but I just feel like when I'm typing, the typing, I was going to say writing. I don't know the last time I wrote a paper, but oh, like I know, it's the best. I know it's better. Um, I know. Um, and I do miss that. Um, we can get into that, but I, I always find trouble. I was like, wow, this is really awesome. Where am I going with this? Like, these are a lot of good ideas. But how am I going to end it? And that's right. where I struggle. Tying um, it up in a pretty little bow, right? Yeah. That's what I, I don't do that either when I talk. Like, it's one of those things where they're like, okay, so like, you're going to, like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to like, you're going to come in and you're going to talk about your experience. You're going to make your point about the growth that you've made. And then you're going to give an example. And then I like give the example. And then like, I'm like, all of a sudden, like I'm supposed to end the example. And I'm like talking about, you know, 400 years later. So I, I get it. I understand. Uh, but I think it's really funny. Um, because your greeting card story is a perfect segue to something I wanted to talk to you about since you're in a leadership level. Um, and it's not always a popular topic. And like, so basically in grad school, I'm right now in an advocacy class for physical activity 
and uh, PE. And I've noticed like a lot of schools around the world uh, don't really value recess as much as it should be. So mm -hmm. you said got recess, like you've already made a greeting card about it. Or a <laughs> right. Greeting card. Yeah, a greeting card. And then, uh, so from your perspective, what do you think re recess should look like? I mean, yeah, that's a really tough question right okay. now as we're in the middle of the pandemic it. because obviously it's like, okay. you know, I mean, I have to say that I work in a district that has done an exceptional job with getting kids outside and getting them to play. But, um, you know, I think the fact is, is that like, if you were to ask almost any kid, like if you were to say, hey, like what's your favorite part of the day. I, I do feel like the majority of kids would say either recess or lunch and recess and or PE. So the question becomes like, why are those your favorite things? Um, you know, and, and, and what is it about those particular, you know, areas of your day that make it so great? And I think one of the things that we fail to do is take those times like recess or like PE in which we know that kids love and get them to reflect on what is, what is it? Like, what is it about these things that you love? So is it, you know, is it the idea of play? Like, is it playing with other people? Because that actually gives us a really big window into the way in which kids learn, which is through collaboration. You know, right. is it the fact that you're moving, you know? So what does that tell, what does that information tell us about how we need to be better about getting kids up and moving within the classroom. So I feel like not because it is this, the kid's favorite part of the day, we actually probably do a really not so great job of getting them to reflect on why that is. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of that is actually like really pairing our PE teachers with our gen ed teachers and getting them to think about like, how do we then take a kid who says PE is my favorite part of the day? And, and this is a student who's going to be striving in every other part of their day. How do we get the teachers to pair so that whatever is happening in this PE class or whatever is happening in recess, you know, like kind of like lends itself over to this, this setting in which the kid is not as successful. Like, you know, so how, how do we have these conversations that build success into students' days that give them things that they look forward to. So I, I don't think we do like as important as recesses as important and, and play. And, you know, like we think about emotional intelligence and everything that um, things like PE and recess um, give us practice at, which are really our life skills. Um, we don't do a good enough job about reflecting about those times in our day and actually utilizing those to become better learners. So um, that is something that I've had a lot of conversation with. You know, one of my one of my dear friends is actually hoping to um, take a position in PE, and we were talking about the idea that yeah, you want them moving, but we also want to think about the fact that like they love PE. Kids love moving. They love playing. They love making, you know, like they love teamwork and games. And then all of a sudden they come into a different environment and it doesn't feel as exciting. So how do we actually bring that like enthusiasm and build contagion around, you know, those pieces of their day into the subjects that they maybe don't like as much? Yeah. And I love that you said reflection. And honestly, like I never really thought about it like that, um, which is on me. 
But I think it's like, as you said, why aren't we, if we're looking at different classroom dynamics and we're trying to find ways to reach students through of so many varieties on like, kudos Twitter, but so right. many varieties of different approaches to learning um, and engagement and all of that. That if you see that, and, and granted, like not every student is going to love PE. Not every student, unfortunately, is going to have a good time at recess. And that that's a whole nother conversation on how we can approach that right. to make it a more enjoyable situation. But for the, the mass numbers that do enjoy going out there and playing and um, what, like, what emotions are you feeling when these happen? And, like, even if, like, I believe recess is a time that kids should be able to play and play with groups and kind of have their own choice. But I also think for those that are a little nervous or a little sheltered or shy, that guided play is okay as well. Now, that's not me saying you make a game and teach them how to do something at recess. Mm -hmm. um, something I've done before is just kind of done, like, at the beginning of the year, I did, like, a example of variety of games just kind of like a tutorial and then like i'd be like here will be all the equipment and i really right. encourage kids to talk to each other and just with that model make their own games or whatever um, well it and you know my cat and my counselor and i actually have a lot of conversation about how much information we can actually gain from being you know on duty at recess so you know i know it's not the world's most favorite favorite job for a lot of people. And sometimes we tend to like take, you know, our, our less experienced staff and say here, you know, go do recess and lunch duty and, or, you know, like we might even like hire outside people to go do recess and lunch duty, but the amount of information we can gain about our students when we watch them in an unstructured, unstructured setting is so incredibly significant and important to figuring out how to actually help them achieve in the classroom. And it's an opportunity we miss because we become busy or we, you know, like we do all these other things. And it's like, you know, like for me, recess and lunch duty is one of the most important parts of the day because of the fact that I'm going to watch kids in an environment that I wouldn't ordinarily see them. And I'm going to gain a piece of information that is going to help me, um, you know, like, reach them in a different in a different way and it's just not an opportunity that sometimes we actually think to um gather the story behind the numbers if you will right so. yeah and back to your reflection thing so let's go to those kids or that kid that is not having a good time at recess or seems to be and there's nothing wrong with being an introvert i'm not saying there's anything right. wrong with that but Let's say this kid is in the classroom and most of the class were, and I'm, I, I know teachers around the world are far better than this, but let's just say it's the beginning of the year and the majority of the work is independent work. Um, when you get to that recess situation, that gives you more insight to that child than you're getting in the classroom because you can see this child struggling with something or doesn't want to be around with other people. Um, they could be sad. They could, you could, and maybe it's something I've developed, but I can tell when a child is too timid to like wants to approach other people, but doesn't know how. Um, and I think that's where the reflection comes in. Like, and you don't even have to like, you're not going to say why, 
why don't you like recess? Because <laughs> right. you're already starting with a negative. But you can say... Why don't you have friends? Right. <laughs> right. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, but you can address, like, what are your opinions of recess? What would you like recess to look like for you? And stuff like that. Um, so I really like what you said about reflection because it not only aids in the learning in the classroom with the kids that are really having a good time, but also looking at the SEL side of things um, to help children that need an, like someone, even just someone to talk to, like that brings to light um, in front of our eyes, I think. But I think it also goes to, and I do think, yes, I agree with that. And I also think it speaks to the idea that um, sometimes the way that we think about our days, like be it intervention or be it recess or whatever the case may be, that we like, we actually end up putting our, and I want to say like, you know, all of our staff is going to be highly qualified because, you know, for the most part, they've gone through, you know, the same amount of education as anybody else. But like we put our least experienced teachers in on those particular parts of the day right. when we're talking about our most vulnerable students and like who would be best with those kids are going to be our most experienced teachers. So like, you know, like how do we actually flip the way in which we provide support for students to ensure that our most vulnerable students have our most experienced teachers so that we can be responsive to those particular kids? It's not something that I think we think about enough. Um, and I wish we did. Like, I, I mean, I don't love that my counselor does recess and lunch duty only because of the fact that I don't ever want to put her in a disciplinary perspective right. because she is so concentrated on, on social emotions. So mm -hmm. if I had my perfect world, I would never have a counselor necessarily do that job. I would have her, though, continue to go into recess to observe kids because mm -hmm. that's where we really get a sense of, you know, like, do they feel a sense of belonging? You know, do they feel a sense of safety? And if not, like, how do we how do we start to build that for this particular child? Because if our amygdalas are hijacked, you know, like as they are, if you're not, you know, like if you're uncomfortable, you can learn. So. Um, it's, it's really something to think a lot more deeply about than I think we, we do, you know, and, um, I think just the idea of play not only is really super important, but it also gives us a lot of insight into kids and the way in which they learn. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I like what you said about giving the counselors the opportunity to kind of back off of that disciplinarian situation because they, as you're alluding to, they really do need kids. They don't need it, but it's helpful if the kids are comfortable enough at some point to confide in them. And if they're, I mean, kids are going to get upset with discipline. Like I, right. get, I as an adult, I'm going to get upset, upset if someone yeah. disciplines right. me. Like uh, maybe I'm a child at heart, but or I'm not very mature. But uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just uh, pretending I'm a scientist, but it's just human nature. Uh, I right. think, and, and uh, eventually you'll get over it and like, yeah, I guess it made sense. I was being kind of a right or whatever. Um, but what I think is um, interesting is your concept of having experienced teachers out there. And I just, and it's so hard, like, because it's another thing teachers need to do, right? Um, so it's really hard. What I'm getting at, is I think it's important to get people to be out there that want to be out there, but you're never going to get like a continuous, I don't think, because one day 
even like as a PE teacher, I'm super passionate about play, stuff like that. But I have days where I'm swamped and like I'm exhausted and I, I'm human. Like there's days that I feel overwhelmed and I need to catch oh. up myself. Um, so I think well, that's really hard to, uh, yeah, not, not but, your point, my point of getting people no. to really want to be out there. Um, but I also think like, you know, it goes to like, I'm not with kids all day. You are, you know, like, I mean, being in my role, I am in, you know, like I, I am with kids because I choose to be with kids, but I don't, I'm not assigned kids during the day necessarily that I'm with. Um, so, um, like for me, um, being at recess and being at lunch, is the main way in which I connect with kids, you know, like it's the way in which I can connect with groups of kids, but I don't think it should fall in the classroom teachers either necessarily, but there are, there are a lot of ways in which we can look at scheduling to ensure that people who actually do work with all kids and don't necessarily have the kind of load that a teacher, that a classroom teacher has, or, you know, like a specialist has that we can think about how, um, how we utilize our time to ensure that we have, you know, we have staff that the kids know and we build consistency around who the kids are with during those times so that there is like this level of safety. And there are these people who are starting to like connect the dots for kids and build those like, you know, accurate and precise stories behind kids. There's so much that we learn from unstructured times within our day if we have the consistent structures around those, those times of the day. So um, I, I always put it out there for my staff. Like, like if I don't have enough people to cover recess and, and lunch duty, which is one of my jobs is to make sure that I have coverage. So, you know, a lot of times I'll either just like do it myself because I don't feel, I'll feel bad at asking people to do multiple duties and, or like sometimes I'll put it out to the staff if they're willing to do that. So um, I always like send out an email that's like cute puppy pictures. Um, like that's going to be like the subject line of my email. And then I'm like, who wants to do recess duty so that they open my email? Because when I, people see me coming and I'm asking them to do that task, it's not something where everyone's like, yes, absolutely. I would love to spend, you know, 20 minutes outside in the, you know, 42 degree, you know, <laughs> or below zero weather. It's weird that they don't like that. <laughs> It builds character. I use, right. I, I, I use I Calvin agree. and Hobbes a lot, so I just say it builds character. <laughs> right, yeah, and I say that it, like, gives me an excuse to not wear heels, because <laughs> when I first started this job, I was, like, the heel queen. Like, I was, like, every day I'd wear heels and dresses, and then all of a sudden, it, like, St. Louis hit, like, you know, 10 degrees below zero. And I was like, and sweatpants, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I became a different person um, awesome. based on the fact that I was doing recess duty every day, right. sometimes multiple, you know? Yeah, totally. And Erica, I want to thank you. Um, this is actually a topic I've been wanting to talk about a long time and I haven't had the opportunity to do this. Um, I know there's so many facets of education, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about recess with me. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. It's also my favorite part of the day, so I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so you have been on kind of both sides of the spectrum. Um, I would, I hate to ask this general, those like, I don't know what kind of questions you call them, but whatever. Um, if you, okay, let's start with, so in the classroom, what is one you think beneficial lesson you learned from being in the classroom with kids 
that you can share with other people? Um, and I, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to anyone, be one. It can just be general. Well, I know, and and I think the thing is, is that there's probably people out there that are going to be like that, that. That is absolutely not accurate. So that's fine. I, I'm willing to I'm willing to take the heat for this, but like, you got to know your kids. You know, like it doesn't. I mean, like you can teach as much content as as you want, but if you don't know your kids, like it doesn't matter how much content you teach. Like you know, so I think. Um, making sure that you're spending the time to build those relationships that are so strong that they're going to remain even in the most impassioned conflict. Like that is something that to me is so essential because we want to have that attitude of, I love you so much. I'm going to push you, you know, like everything's about this, like finding the sweet spot between active demandiness and personal warmth. And it really does not, happen if you don't know the people of which you are serving. So um, within the classroom, it, it's it's not very different from being out of the classroom. It's know your people, you know, know what they need and, um, and serve them. So um, like, you know, I always say when I'm sitting in the interview and I'm looking at teachers, you know, so as I'm interviewing teachers, you know, and I'm looking to see like who's a fit. I've had this argument many times. My district has a very, very lengthy process for, um, for uh, choosing teachers. And honestly, I get why they do because my district is very demanding in so many fantastic ways. I mean, they expect so much from us. Um, I've never learned more in my life and I've only been here three years. So I'm so grateful for the fact that the expectations are so high. But um, also trying to like get a job here is really hard. And we've talked about the fact that we take a math test and you have to take this math test in order to get hired. And I've argued about it because sometimes there are teachers who don't pass the math test, but they love kids and, and they would do anything for kids. And I always say like, you know, this person has what I can't teach. Like I can teach you math content any day of the week. Like I, you know, I can teach a teacher how to teach math. I can teach a teacher how to teach science or social studies. I cannot teach you to love kids. Like, and that is what I, when I think about like, what is it about a teacher that makes them successful? It's the fact that they like have this undying belief in a student's brilliance and they can get the student to think about themselves as being brilliant, brilliant as well. So yeah, and I'd just like to say that, like, if you get any heat, like, send that heat my way, because anyone <laughs> that has a problem with what you just said, um, well, I'd be, well, I'd be happy, uh, I don't want to be combative, but I'd be happy to have a conversation I, with you about it. Well, it's it's one of those things where I get it, you know, like, I've been a middle school teacher, and I loved being a middle school teacher, but even as a middle school teacher, um, like, it, it can never be about the content. The content can never be greater than the people. Right. Um, so, like, even though I teach, you know, like, social studies might be my subject in which I'm teaching, I'm still teaching children, you know, like, right. and I think, um, I think that's something in which, as kids get older, we we sometimes like kind of flip the narrative on them a little bit from like, you know, I'm teaching, you know, third graders, I'm teaching fourth graders, I'm teaching fifth graders, I'm teaching science, you know, like, 
Um, and I think it's something that we unintentionally do. Um, but I think it's something that we have to really think about because we're not teaching science. We're teaching kids. We're teaching kids science. We're teaching kids math. You know, we're teaching them to be curious and love, you know, the world of education. And we want to develop them into these lifelong learners. And um, so we have to focus on the people and not the things. Um, and and people I know get very, very like kind of like, well, you know, have you ever taught this or like, and I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I actually have. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I'm not saying that content is not important or I'm not saying that, you know, like there isn't a a balance to be struck. It's just the fact that if we don't put kids first, if we don't put relationships first, if we don't make kids feel safe, we can teach whatever we want, but they're never going to learn it, you know, because we haven't set them up for the success that they need in order to be able to retain it. Yeah. And I think that even like I teach high school right now, and I think that even happens at the high school level, not so much like I, it's the trust thing at high school right. Um, for the most part, like um there's gonna be more buy-in like there's like at the high school levels it depends there's some boys and some girls who just aren't digging pe and i get that like they're more concerned with other things at this right. stage in their life but if i can develop a relationship where i can make them smile i can make them laugh and they at some point feel like if they need to they can confide in me they tend to buy into the material a lot faster well, oh, heck yeah, they do. You know, like, that's the thing is, is that, like, it's just like, um, you know, like, as I've stepped into leadership, one of the things that I feel like I realize is that, you know, if, like, if people don't buy into me first, they won't buy into what I'm selling, you know? So that idea of building such strong trust and, and taking time to build relationships, like I can then, you know, anything that I do or say, even if people don't like it, they, they know why I did it or why I said it. Like nobody can question the fact that I'm here for kids. Um, even if they like, even if they're not happy with the decision I make, or they don't like what I have to say, they don't ever like question what it, you know, like what the core of my, um, belief is. And so it does help, you know, like you, you actually save, like, it feels like you're spending so much time in the beginning because you're spending so much time developing the trust and building relationships. And you kind of feel like you're getting behind on like, there's this standard and that standard and this thing that I need to accomplish. But when you think about how much ground, um, like you let you lay by, you know, setting a foundation of trust, it actually in the end ends up saving you so much time because you don't have to stop and go back to like the foundational, you know, building of trust later on, because you've done such a great job of just kind of creating it from the get go. So. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. As we kind of just went back and forth about like, just bringing in the kids in and, like I said, like you said, and like I said, it doesn't really matter what age group or what level they're at, if they right. feel comfortable in their environment. And it's the same, like, with any person, like right. an adult friendship or relationship, I want to feel comfortable before I'm going to open up. Be and, right, be vulnerable, right? Yeah. Like, it's like... And, and that's science, you know, like, regardless of if we want to think it, about it or not, like, I know people are like, well, that's the Eric and I school of thought or whatever it is. But like, science will tell us that if our amygdalas, you know, like, if our, 
are hijacked that we're not going to be able to learn or retain information. So that idea of building a sense of belonging or building, um, you know, a sense of trust, that's what enables our brain to be able to take in information. So we're, I know that people are like, well, I mean, like, but they need this standard and that standard. Like, I don't know why my voice is like all of a sudden, like I'm talking <laughs> to, to teachers, like they're like, you know, nasally, but, um, I don't know. I guess I just kind of feel like, you know, there are a lot of people that kind of push back about the like, you know, warm and fuzzy part of education, but science will tell us that the warm and fuzzy education actually makes all of the other things that we do, um, you know, able to stick. So I could not be more agreeable on this. And I also wanted to say, I loved everything we talked about today. Um, let me just rattle this off real quick. Um, I know it's Saturday night, um, Sunday, if you're here. Uh, <laughs> I am absolutely not there. Like, literally, no, I, 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 I thought we were meeting on a Friday because I, I don't even know what, I, I, like, I, yeah, I just think everybody's central standard time. Like, it's just <laughs> like the world revolves around Erica, right? So. <laughs> but Erica, I'm really excited you came on because, um, like I said before, like, and just in the conversation, I got to know you professionally and personally even more. And I think all around, you're just a wonderful person that really cares a lot. And you have a great sense of humor and you have a personality. Um, any, wherever you are and wherever you your path takes you, um, anyone would be blessed to work with you and to get to know you. So, uh, I mean, I, com I completely agree. <laughs> I'm joking. I know. Uh, and no, to, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. No problem. And um, if you ever want to come back on. Uh, Absolutely. You're, you're more yeah, welcome. this is fun. Awesome. Um, I mean, the fact you that you kept me up at 1030 on a Saturday. What did you say? This is only her second podcast and she crushed it. My, right. My second podcast and it's 1030 at night and I'm still awake. Like you have succeeded. <laughs> Erica, thank you much so much for stopping by, and uh, I thank I'm you. excited to continue to collaborate with you and have conversations. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. All right, perfect. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. <laughs>